I am accomplished maniac. I'll use that word. I, I am driven by accomplishment. And what I find is that when I achieve success, it becomes addictive. Just getting out there on that pavement. Not only did I feel better mentally, I'm more creative. You know, physically, my body is amazing and has grown in such a way that I can't even explain. It is really unbelievable. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 69. Welcome Kimberly Smith-Austin to the podcast today. She is an accomplished strategist, consultant, and coach with over 25 years of experience across multiple disciplines, from the boardroom to the playground, guiding professionals on their journey to build robust organization and lifestyle. Kimberly Smith-Austin has successfully launched eight businesses since 1999 and is very passionate about creating systems and solutions to address the marketplace needs. With multiple platform experience, Kimberly transforms all of the new science of business and health into programs that are simple, easy, and fun. With her unique background and formal training, she has distinguished herself as a -a one-of-a-kind, real-world expert who helps professionals take their business, life, and health to the next level. Kimberly is an international speaker, co-author of the book, Millions of Possibilities, Taking Your Ideals from Inspiration to Monetization, and the co-host other podcasts made to inspire. She holds a bachelor's and a master's degree in business and a world of certifications in health, nutrition, and fitness. Kimberly has spent over 20 years helping people transform their lives from the inside out and enjoys every second of it. She is also a business professor at two universities, mother of three, and a transformative example to people worldwide regarding courageous and next level living. Well, welcome again to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here with you, Dr. Wita. Thank you for having me on your show. You are very accomplished. Where did you get all the drive and determination? You know, I like to tell people I'm a little crazy, right? (laughs) You know, I think people who are driven, who are motivated, who actually accomplish a lot in their lives, it's a little bit of combination of drive, but it's a lot of crazy. You know, I had an aunt growing up who told me, she said, I don't know karate, but I know crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. I think I'm a little crazy too. (laughs) Yes. And that is what really drives me day after day. You know, I have found in my life that when I see some form of success, no matter how big or small, there's something that says there's more. 
And so I found myself reaching for more, going for more and going to that next level in every phase of my life, whether it was my career, my academic endeavors, my athletic endeavors, and just my desire to support people on their journey to get well and live well. Awesome. So you're a health, nutrition, and fitness coach, certified personal trainer, certified running coach, certified life and health coach, nutritionist, martial arts instructor, probably, um, I probably missed a few, but how did you get involved in fitness in the various aspects of fitness? Well, you know, it started early on. I'll tell you a little backstory. Nine years old, I was athletic as a kid in elementary school decided to join like the school sports. I was a cheerleader. I was on track. And then I went off to high school and continued cheerleading and track. I also was a choral major. So I love to sing, by the way. That's where all my theatrics come from. Okay. But then what I found is that when I went off to college, I did not participate in sports. I was very involved in my academics, probably because I changed majors three times. Yes, I said three times. But in college, I decided to join the army. I decided I wanted to be a soldier. My father was a Vietnam vet and I watched the military and it always did something to my heart. It always teared me up. And so I decided to take that journey. And of course, when you join the military, what do you do? Run. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) Yes, yes. And you know, I remember doing that death march, 26 miles with that heavy equipment on my back, full boots, full gear, and going my way through Fort Dix, New Jersey. That's where I did boot camp. And I remember thinking, wow, what have I done? I was 19 years old, and I absolutely regretted that moment, but I enjoyed every moment of it, if that's possible. Mm -hmm. I remember getting back into the barracks and sitting in the barracks with my fellow soldiers and really just being excited, doing the push-up test. And I was pumped. And it was crazy (laughs) because I don't know where it came from. My parents, my dad, obviously, when he was in the military, was active. But when I knew him actively, I didn't ever see him do any sports. Neither did I see my mom. So it was something that I think was ingrained in me and something I personally wanted more for myself. So I reached. We have a lot in common. Running triathlons. So was your initial entry into running when boot camp? I know you were involved in athletic endeavors as a high school student and in college, but was the first real running when you were in boot camp? I would say no. It happened after boot camp because after the military, I got out and I was young 20s. I want to say 23, 24. And I remember having a corporate job because I was in the financial services industry at the time, I would get off of work and run to the gym about two miles away, spend two hours in the gym lifting weights, and then I'd run back home. And so that was my journey, right? And I continued doing that for years. My job took me on the road between 30 and 35 weeks a year. And no matter where I went, I took a, and you'll remember this, I took a old DVD player with Tony Horton's P90X DVD, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> along with a resistance band in my suitcase. So no matter where I went, there was no excuse. I was always getting it in. And I think that's when in my life, I really discovered that although I'm a business major, you know, MBA, working with CEOs, coaching in them, I really discovered that I had a true passion for health and wellness and fitness. 
and I wanted to do more with it. How did you get to the, the coaching aspect? Well, I think it was natural. What I found is that when people see someone that's an advocate or actively pursuing something, there's always that question or that curiosity. And I was doing my thing, if you will, and people would ask me, hey, what do you do? How do you do it? Can you show me? And at that point, I decided, well, you know what? Let me go and learn more. So I started getting certified in all these various areas. I got certified in running, got certified in personal training. My nutrition journey came a little bit later as well as my martial arts, but it was always something I knew I was passionate about. I loved getting results for myself and then helping other people transform their health, even transform their thoughts on food and what they saw. Because my journey with food, I can't wait to tell you about that. <laughs> so it was other people who basically got you involved in coaching just from asking how you did it and wanting you to help them. I would say, yes, that was a combination of it. And because of my career as a consultant, I was a natural coach. You know, I was trained in consulting and coaching, although I was working with CEOs and the bottom line and, you know, process improvement, change management, all those types of things. I realized that in physical, excuse me, and wellness, it was the same. It was just a different product, if you will. So now I'm not teaching you about leadership development or change management or process improvement. Instead, I'm talking to you about macros. You know, I'm talking to you about carbs and fats. I'm talking about running. I'm talking about heart rate, talking about lactate threshold. I changed the form, but the process in my mind was exactly the same. What are some challenges that you have as a coach? You know, it's an interesting thing. I think as a coach, I have a big heart. And I have a desire to see everyone win, right? But here's what I've learned is that my desire does not always match the client's desire. You know, they want more for themselves. They want to do more. They want to be more. But sometimes that concept of work, W-O-R-K, they're not ready for it. And what I've seen over the years is that I'll put a plan together for a client and I'm prepared to work with them. And I do one-on-one. I do group. I do online coaching and I put it together and we'll show up in person and they'll say, I don't want to do that. You know, that was actually one of my biggest lessons. I remember one of my clients in California, a nice young lady, she was middle aged, probably early fifties. And she had decided she wanted to lose weight and she wanted to run. So we started a process that would include both working on weight loss, working on running And I'm pretty intense. And I tell people all the time, I'm intense. That's what I do. But I don't want you to become me. I want you to become the best version of you. Mm -hmm. And so I created a plan, something that was doable for her, something that she could accomplish and achieve. And that particular day, she said, no, let me tell you, Dr. Wade, my heart was like, what do you mean? No, (laughs) (laughs) I'm the coach. You came to me because you wanted to lose weight and start running. What do you mean? No, you have to follow my plan. Mm -hmm. This lady stopped me and she said, listen, I appreciate you and you have taken me on quite a journey, but I don't want to do that. And she said to me, as the client, I pay you. Whoa. (laughs) And you know what? That day changed the way I looked at how I train people. You know, it's not necessarily about the plans that I put together, the macros, the movement that I put together. It's really, I need to sit down and assess where that client is for that day and and how I can best serve them because they've hired me to help them. 
But in the end, my role is that of service. And so I had to really step back a little bit and say, okay, I hear you. I hear you. And that has changed the way I do everything now. Everything. Because I want to work with you where you are. And that's always been my motto. But now it's done in a different way. I like that. It's interesting. When I was a physical therapist, my first job was at a nursing home. And I used to come up with these elaborate treatment plans. And most of the patients, they didn't want to do that. They like talking to me and trying to hook me up and find out about my weekend more than they wanted to actually do my plan. But it used to upset me and I kind of got over it and realized I just should, you know, do what they what they can. I'm helping them in some form or fashion, but it kind of bothered me. And it was about me. And the way you talk about it, it's about service. I should have been more about them than thinking about me and my little treatment plan. <laughs> But I think, you know, I think you were about them because you recognize what their challenges were and areas that you can help them improve. And so you created a plan accordingly. But I think the other side that we may not have considered is what part do they have in it, right? Mm -hmm. What part do they have in this process? And so that's been really transformative for me. It's been probably about eight or nine years when that happened. And I'll tell you, my practice has changed as a result of that. And I'm grateful for her. And I've shared that with her, but, you know, I don't know if she knows how much I really do appreciate her sharing that with me because now I approach it differently. So you not only run, you do ultras. Tell me about the longest distance you run in a race. I want to back up into this one, if I may. I have permission to tell the story, okay? Okay, okay, okay. So when I think about running, again, I ran, right? And I average would do about three miles, maybe five miles at the most. Back in, I want to say 2011, it was 2011, one of my clients that I was coaching said, hey, come do a 10K with me. And I said, eh, I don't know if I really want to do a 10K, 6.2 miles. And I said, well, maybe. I was fairly new to California, not too new. And it was hot in the summertime. And I decided I'm going to train for this 10K. In most cases, it was 9,500 degrees and I'm running around the lake. My son was at uh, preschool, so I would take that time, drop him off at preschool and run around this lake in my community, and I would die. But I remember the day of the race. Matter of fact, it's coming up on the anniversary because it's always Super Bowl weekend. Okay. I showed up late. Number one, everyone had left the starting line. Mind you, I've been a runner for life, but I had never participated in an organized race like we have today. So that was my very first race. Showed up, everyone's gone. And, you know, the commentators still at the start line, the race directors there, and they say, well, go, you know, go ahead. My friend had long gone. We didn't ride together. So I went and ran that race. Not only did I catch her, I passed her. And at the end, she goes, what just happened? And I go, well, I ran the race. I didn't know. I followed the path. And she says, oh, my goodness. You said you don't like to run more than three miles, five miles. You just killed it. And I go, well, okay. And someone said, well, maybe you should do a half marathon. I said, no way. I do not want to do a half marathon. 13.1 miles. That's disgusting. (laughs) Disgusting. You're telling me you want me to double what I just did? No way. So, of course, (laughs) of course, I, I run a program and, you know, I train athletes at every distance. I knew the methodology. I know the science behind it, but I personally was not a practitioner. Okay. So I decide, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. So I decide to train. And I remember this so well. One of my sorors that lived here, she's probably about 15 years my senior, 
Now I was a sprinter as a run. So I get out the gate and I'm boom, I'm taking it. She, I don't know where she came from or what she did, but I remember getting halfway into that half marathon and dying. I was about mile six and I was done because I was pushing the whole time. Went out too fast. And she just tittle-tottled right on past me. And I remember thinking, what? How could, How did she do that? But she was an inspiration to me because it told me as a runner, and I know this, I know this, that I can't go out the gate like that, especially when I have 13 miles in front of me. Mm-hmm. So I finished the race and I continued working through that half marathon distance. And then one of my clients came with the question. Mm-hmm. I want to do a marathon. And I was like, good for you. I'm going to cheer you, build a training plan for you. I'm going to help you get there. Exciting. Now, one of our friends had recently done the LA marathon, probably lost about 30 pounds of weight, was looking amazing, feeling great. And so that's what inspired one of my clients. Now, those two of them were planning to run that race together. And then my friend gets pregnant at 44 years old. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and I say it because, you know, 44 is a mature pregnancy. And now my client has no one to run with. And so, of course, she comes back and says, Coach, will you run that marathon with me? And I said, Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, what happened? Absolutely not. You know what? I decided in the back of my head, in the back of my heart, that I'd go for it. What did I have to lose? Remember, I said at the beginning, when I see success, For me, it becomes addictive. And my brain is saying, what else can I do? Can I do this half marathon? Can I do this marathon? So that was in my head. So I went ahead and signed up for the LA Marathon and joined my client. I remember the day that it became real for me. We had a 17 mile race or excuse me, training run through Temecula, California, which if you are not familiar with California, Temecula, It is nothing but heels and heels and heels. And I remember finishing saying, I got this. Mm -hmm. I can do this marathon. 17 miles. I felt so amazing. So good. I knew that I could do it. So I did. And I finished my first marathon in 2014. LA Marathon was my very first. Okay. After that, I decided, you know what? I'll do one marathon a year. One year. So next, the following year, I decided I'd do Phoenix Marathon and I was ready, signed up, ready to go. But I am a native Chicagoan and I decided I'm going to sign up for their lottery, right? Mm-hmm. I'll just see. I don't know. I've never done this whole lottery thing before. So I signed up for the lottery and guess what? You got in. I got in. Okay. <laughs> so now that means two marathons in a year. Okay. okay. Mind you, three to five miles was my max, two marathons in a year. So I got to work and I started running. Now, in the midst of that, I also run a corporate and community wellness organization. My company's called Made to Be Fit. So I'm passionate about teaching people how to get up, get active, and get moving by eating smart and staying accountable throughout the entire process. So I started a challenge from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day for people to run one mile a day. So the challenge was happening. I'm trained for these races and I was putting one mile a day at minimum. Now, on average, I was already doing four miles a day. And so in that process, I'm growing, I'm building my strength, you know, building my endurance. And I was able to finish those two races and finish that challenge. Now, that one mile, though, 
it killed me. Going fast? Why did it kill you? You know what? I think it's because I would do it after dinner. It's late at night because it wasn't a part of my regular training regimen. So my four days were beautiful. But that extra one mile, those off days was ridiculously crazy hard for me. And I don't know why. I think it was psychological, mental. But in 2015, I decided that, okay, I'm going all in with all heart. And that's when my vision, my view, and my perspective of running changed. Mm -hmm. 2015, I went all the way, one mile a day. In most cases, it was beyond. I honestly have only done one mile a day on average, very, very little. But it was the start that started me on this journey. So when I did that, that was two marathons that year. The next year, I wind up doing three marathons and a half Ironman. There was a group of triathletes in my area. Well, I don't want you to go there quite yet. Oh, the okay. okay. <laughs> Finish my question with the ultras. So it all built up. So two, three marathons, right? Then the next year it was five marathons. Then it went to six. But in the process of this whole marathon journey, a couple things happened. Number one, I became a pacer. And I started running marathons around the world and decided I want to run all 50 states by the time I turn 50. And how far are you with the 50 states? Well, COVID kind of shut me down. I was, this was this year, excuse me, 2020, I made 50 and I only had a few more. I had 11 races to go to finish up and I was going to smash that in the year. What states do you have left? Like, not, you don't have to name all 11, but. Which states are you lacking some? Mostly on the East Coast, believe it or not, because I've cleared the West Coast. A lot of the Midwest, I've got to get over there on the East Coast. I've done Boston Marathon. I've done Delaware. I've done Texas. I've, you know, I've done some of those. Are you doing New York? I haven't done that. Nope. Okay. Okay. And that was on the bucket. Well, I did do New York technically, not in New York. You did the virtual. <laughs> I don't count that though, even though it. I could, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you weren't actually in New York. So, but kind of sort of, yeah. So, 11 more. How many total marathons have you done in? More than that, because as a pacer, I've done multiple of the same race because I've paced it multiple times. So, honestly, I don't count. I just keep my feet moving. You don't know, have any idea how many marathons you've done? I don't. Is that terrible? That's interesting. Yes, 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 yes. So what was your favorite marathon? My favorite marathon? I have quite a few, to be honest with you. One of my favorites, believe it or not, was Chicago. And I think it's because it gave me a perspective of the city that I lived in, that I grew up in, born and raised, that I had never been a part of. That was an amazing race for me. I really enjoyed just getting through a town that I've lived in but never seen. Another one that I enjoyed was in D.C. I did the um, Marine Corps Marathon. Oh, I my love the Marine Corps. Yes, I do. I, I do that absolutely too. love that. And then one more that I must bring. It was in Utah. It's Utah. Um, I can't think of the name of it. It's uh, oh Utah Marathon. It starts at the top of the mountain and you just go down, 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 down all the way to Brigham Young University. Absolutely amazing race. I read about it in Runner's World. So what was your worst marathon and why? Oh, that's a good one. I have a great one. <laughs> that was the name of it. It's in Missouri. I can see maybe it was Cowbells. I can see the blue jacket right now with orange on it. And the reason it was bad, mind you, born and raised in the Midwest, 
the humidity kicked in yeah. at the very end. They actually shut down the race before I finished. But I, of course, I'm a pacer. I was pacing that race and I had to bring people in. And I remember my children were at the finish line when I got there and I really couldn't even walk. I was a pacer and I came in, I was stumbling. I was a little crazy because the heat had taken me down. And my son said to me, mom, I've never seen you this way. And he's at the finish line of a lot of my races, but that humidity had really kicked in and, and taken the worst of me. But right away, I sat down, tried to get my bearings together. I use a product called Sustain. It's electrolyte four to one. I drank a little bit of that. And within a good three or five minutes, I was back. But that just tells you the power of hydration. I stayed hydrated throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But when that humidity kicked in, my body was like, hey, no, we're not ready for this. Because the race started, it was probably 52 degrees at the start. But at the end, it was 90s with almost 100% humidity. Yeah, your body, if it's not used to that, it does extra work with the humidity. I hate running in hot weather. Yeah. So the ultra, what distance did you do? Well, I've done quite a few. What's the longest? 50K, 50 miler? 50 milers. And again, you're talking about someone who never <laughs> ran more than three to five miles. So I did a 50K about two weeks after a marathon. I did a couple crazy cycles. I did three marathons in 14 days. I drove from California to Oregon. Then I drove back to California, drove up to Nevada to run a race drove back to California, then drove to Utah for a conference, drove up to Colorado to run another race. And all this happened in 14 days. So you're a marathon maniac. I am. Mm-hmm. How did you qualify? Because it's different ways. And actually, I detail it in my book. I did the three marathons in three months. That's how I qualified. Okay. Yeah. And stuff like that, because I've done two back-to-back. I've done um, a race in Idaho. Jumped on a plane and I won a trip to Hawaii, Kauai, jumped off the plane in Kauai and did that marathon the next morning. So that was really when I said, okay, that was back in August and August 31st and September 1st. I did that. But then I did just last May during pandemic, you know, really just trying to find my home, find my way. Usually in May, I do a Memorial Day race. I'm a veteran. I mentioned that earlier, Mm -hmm. but I've been for eight years hosting the Memorial Day 5K, 10K and kids 1K run. I decided that every day I would run one mile for the soldiers that lost their lives. So it was what they call a calendar run. So on May 1st, I ran one, May 2nd ran two. And during the course of that month, I wind up running 517 miles. And the last, you know, when you think about it, when you get to mile 20, all the way to 31, that was 12 days of 20 plus runs. <laughs> you know, that was crazy. Was that when you started your five? I want to talk about your five year streak. No, that started 2015 when I started that corporate challenge with the corporation. And it's still going? It is still going. So, how long do you think you will continue to streak in five years? What made you continue past the challenge? To five years. I think you might be in the world, Guinness World Book of Records or, <laughs> for the longest streak. I wonder. <laughs> really? I don't, I don't know. I better look it up. You know, what's really kept me going is the way that I feel. And that's, again, I am accomplished maniac. I'll use that word. I, I am driven by accomplishment. And what I find is that 
when I achieve success, it becomes addictive. And what happened is when I realized that every single day, just getting out there on that pavement, not only did I feel better mentally, I'm more creative, you know, physically, my body is amazing and has grown in such a way that I can't even explain. It is really unbelievable. For example, today I was working on a project and I was feeling just kind of because the app was acting crazy. And my 14 year old son, he says, mom, go outside. (laughs) He kicked me out of my house. He said, go outside. I grabbed the dog and we just ran and did a one quick one mile. I came back and instantly I was able to finish that project. But, you know, movement is medicine. And when we take that time to make time to move, we're going to see our body shift. We're going to see our mind shift. We're going to see our attitude shift. And for me, that is why I continue doing it. I'm so grateful that my body has come alongside and decided it will do it too. But you know, the expression says our body can do anything. It's our mind that we have to convince. True. So true. Season three, we will continue the new segment called As the Dub. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal injuries or musculoskeletal health, go to my website, www.weouilife.com, click on the tab voicemail, leave your voicemail, and select messages will be aired and answered on the segment. Now, back to the show. You're vegan, correct? Correct. Do you find it difficult to train on the strict vegan diet? I've had issues and I'm more like a pescatarian or a flexitarian now because I wouldn't get enough protein for me. So do you find it difficult? I've talked to different athletes who some had issues and some not so much. So I think it depends. I can't eat a lot of soy so that because I get a reaction to it. So that was one of my issues. And I eat a lot of quick food. So most of it's soy based. I have to tell you, I was a meataholic. I ate everything. I grew up with parents from the South. So my diet was everything. I ate everything, you know, fast, slow, whatever it was, I ate it. And I remember my early 20s really getting more veg curious, if you will, Mm -hmm. because even growing up, I ate a lot of vegetables. My grandmother, I use her as example, she would negotiate with me for over a pot of greens because I love greens. I love vegetables. And I just noticed that as I got older, I was more interested in vegetables. I would eat portobello mushroom salads in the top of the Sears Towers. It's really great Italian restaurant, by the way. And then I just realized that I felt better, right? I wanted more for my body as a nutritionist, the information that I learned, the information that I taught. And my son, who's 14, I decided I would never feed him meat. So today he's never had meat. Mm. And when I made the transition completely, I feel a difference. I I feel like I don't have a recovery cycle. Now you combine that with eating great plant-based foods, because the truth be told is plant-based process differently through your organs, through your arteries, than uh, animal-based protein, animal-based anything. So my system It's almost like it doesn't need the recovery time. When I think about running 20 miles for 12 days in a row, and really, I don't hydrate a lot. I've taught my body how not to drink a lot of water in these long distance runs. I'll go with no water for 20 miles. Now, I'll talk a little bit about that. But really recognizing that 
your body can function a lot differently. Now, I hydrate it all throughout the day. You know, I'll keep some hydration with my electrolytes, but getting the right nutrition in your body changes things. I eat a lot of high content food that is water-based, high water content food. So when I'm feeding myself, I'm constantly feeding and I do eat a lot. I eat multiple times a day and feeding my body and I make sure that there's protein in every single meal. Not only the soy-based proteins, but I eat a lot of beans, a lot of legumes, a lot of seeds. I make a lot of things. Matter of fact, I was just downstairs making a pumpkin Powerball <laughs> with pumpkin spice and pumpkin puree and using, you know, nut butters with chia seeds and flax seeds and putting those things together. I use a lot of, I love lentils and garbanzo beans and I make patties and, you know, a lot of things that I know will nourish my body and keep it moving at the rate in which I need it to, or which I like it to, if you will. Okay. How did you get into triathlons? Good question. Moving to California, I encountered a group of triathletes. And what I noticed with these folks is they were all over 60. And I was probably late 30s, early 40s, looking at them saying, wow, you did what? You did what? You swam, you bike, you ran, you did what? <laughs> I remember watching the first Ironman uh, finisher, not the first Ironman, but my first Ironman finisher. And the lady could not cross the finish line. She had cramped up. Her body was in horrible shape. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, no, I will never do that. But then I start playing with this group of people. Mm -hmm. I remember my first ocean swim. Now, I grew up, I could swim, but it was play swim. I swam in the little pool in the neighborhood, you know, not seriously. And when I came out here and started hanging with this group, I had this desire. I wanted to swim. I wanted to learn how to lap swim and I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I couldn't breathe. And it was so frustrating because this was one thing I could get on the bike and ride and I could run. But that swimming thing. Whole different story. Whole different story. Especially if you didn't grow up doing it. Yes. And not lap swimming. And these guys, you know, they encourage me, they challenge me, and they get out there with me. I went out to the Oceanside Beach here in California, and they wanted to swim around the pier. I don't know. It's, it's pretty far out. You're going way around the pier. I got a wetsuit, and I was scared, completely scared. But I remember the first time wasn't a success. The second time, I went out a little bit further than I did the first time. And the third time I'm out there and I'm like, play swimming. Yeah. But I remember there's a song. It says something about in deep waters. You know, I can't think of it right now, but I was singing that song and, and keep me safe during these deep waters. And I kept saying, well, God, you know, I'm a fool. So save me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let the sharks eat me. You know, all these things are going in my head. But I just kept on swimming like Dora. Just keep on swimming. Just keep moving those arms. And that's what I did. And I think every time that I did that, it built more and more confidence in me, even though I didn't have it perfected. But again, I wanted to see that finish line. And so I kept on swimming. So from there, what was your first, you said, you mentioned a 70.3 earlier, which your, what was your first race? It was a sprint when, around here, my triathlon club, they did a sprint and it was a 5k race, 5k run with a 12 mile bike. And I think it was a 300 meter swim and I'd almost drown, <laughs> but I didn't give up. I kept going. Right. And that's the crazy part because that was my first. And then I did one, a real race 
with a group of people. We did a team. So someone swam, someone biked, someone ran. Oh, really? So I did one of those. And somehow I end up swimming again. Well, it's good. Sometimes it's good to do your weaker, like when you do a relay, most people choose their strongest. But sometimes it's good to do your weakest because that's what you need to focus on. Yes. And that's what happened. Someone offered me a bid for the Malibu Triathlon. Now, this was my first open water race. Okay. Let me tell you, I went to this race, but I took a friend. So it was like phone a friend. <laughs> I called my friend Carletta. I said, Carletta, I've got this bid for this race. I want you to go with me because I'm not sure I'm going to do it. I said yes, but I'm so afraid. I'd never really swim. I did the ocean thing, but now it's competitive. It's a race. All these people. Ah! So, you know, I'm panicking. Carletta was with me the whole way. We got to the starting line of the Malibu Triathlon. This was, again, a team event. Someone else ran, someone else biked, and I was the swimmer. We were there, and they were getting ready to call my corral. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> and Carletta says to me, are you going to do it? And I go, I don't know. She goes, are you going to do it? I don't know. So she prayed with me. As a woman of faith, she prayed. And all of a sudden, I got this superpower. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm doing it. <laughs> So I did. I got out there in that water and I remember being out there and one of the lifeguards pulled up on the side of me and he says, do you need me to pull you in? Because I was playing. I was just fooling around. (laughs) And I said, no, I swam a little bit more. And another one came over and says, do you need help? Do you need me to pull you in? I said, no. And at that moment, I looked over to the right and I saw someone had flipped over on their back Mm -hmm. and they were swimming. Oh boy, that was my permission at that time. I'm a strong back swimmer. I could swim backward, backstroke. Let's go. So I started backstroking and I backstroked to the finish line, my friend, to the finish line. And you know what? I felt like I had just conquered the world when I finished that race. So how what was the distance? I have no idea. No idea, Which but you know what you made that it did? To the I made it. <laughs> you I made survived. it. That's what yes. counts. Yes, you didn't drown. I didn't drown. Undergoing seam. I think even when I went to do the seventy point three, which was also in California, Santa Cruz, okay. and there was some major triathletes in this particular race, and there were seals coming up on them in the race, and a girl who had done twenty, thirty races pulled out because the seal came up on her. And she's like, I'm done. She did not finish that race. She DNF'd, which was a big surprise. But I was able to successfully get in there. She didn't finish. And I remember thinking, wow, she gave up. Mm, Should I do this? Now, this was my own complete race. I went from a sprint to now a 70.3. And I remember in Santa Cruz, it's quite hilly. So you had really aggressive heels like I'd never seen before. But the moment I got out of that water, the race was over for me. And, you know, the swim was the beginning. So the race was over for me in my head. I finished the race when I finished the swim because that was my challenge. Once I got that wetsuit off and jumped on that bike, boom, it was on. It was on because I knew I could bike. And I'm a strong runner. So I was able to bring it in to the finish line. So it was that swim that got me. But that was it. And I think at that point, I felt amazing at the finish. And at that point, there was a new level of belief in my head and my heart. And I said, I want to do an Ironman. So which Ironman did you do? Which, which race? The first one I did um, was Ironman Maryland because it was on my 46th birthday. 
I decided I want to finish strong. You know, birthdays are big. What can I do big? And that was the race. You know, how was Armour and Maryland not having? Crazy. It's flat though, isn't it? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say flat. I would say that particular race was lots of rain when it was out of control to the point where the race was almost canceled. Then the race, they almost canceled the wetsuit portion. And then the end, they actually canceled the swim. So they canceled the swim at the very, very end. We're at the starting line, ready to get up to the gate and get in. And it was canceled. We got on the bike and they cut the bike short because of all of the wind. They still Still kept it to 100 miles, but the 112 was cut off. And then the, the run, which was interesting, the water was about three feet deep. Oh, wow. Because it was right on the shoreline. And so the high tide would rise up. So you'd be running through water up to your knees, up to your ankles. People were taking off shoes, running. It was a crazy race, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know what I tell people, and this is what I've realized because this has happened to me over and over again. That race was rained out. I went to Boston, run Boston Marathon 2018, and it was 40 miles per hour wind. Ah, uh, yes, I remember that year. Yeah, I remember that year. I had some um, friends running that year from Chicago, actually. So my new theme for myself is I bring the storm. So I don't, I don't need to run a race with you then. <laughs> That's funny. I bring the storm. <laughs> and I've had so many others that I've had the same situation. It's like, okay, so it's going to storm now. Let's just go. So I'm prepared to run, bike, swim in any weather now. <laughs> it does. It gives you grit. It does. It gives you grit. So not only do you help people with their fitness, you also are a business coach. I know one of your mottos is health is wealth. Can you tell us a little bit about your business coach aspect and why you say that? Absolutely. So when we speak of business coaching, just a little background, I have been in the business world for all of my career, background, business. I have an MBA. I am a college professor. So I've worked with the C-suite as well as executive leadership team teaching some of those core principles. And as I mentioned earlier, when I got into fitness and nutrition, it really, to me, was the same thing, just a different product. So now I'm not talking about all these high-level concepts. Instead, I'm talking about you. And during my career, as when I first started in financial services to consulting in the IT space and then branching off on my own for my own consulting firm, what I saw is that business was everything. People gave their time, their life to get work done, but a lot of people didn't spend time investing in their health. And I saw so many people decline in health and, you know, whether it was gain weight, just feel crappy because they didn't take that time. And I decided that, you know what, although business is, I'm passionate about it because I still actively run a business practice as well. But I also wanted to help people see the value of health because truth be told is your health is your wealth. If you're not healthy, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. I did a room on Clubhouse last week, and I talked a lot about when your health is not priority, wealth is useless. It means nothing. And so what I've done in my new practice is really try to help people align the two to help them become three-dimensional, to focus on their business, their life, and their health in the same frame. Because I believe that you can have it all. It's just a matter of prioritizing things that you have on your plate and making sure that you're on the top of the list. Because guess what? In the end, the job's gone, 
the kids, they're going to grow up and go off to college and get married and leave, if you will. And you're there. So if you don't take that time to invest in you, you're going to be bankrupt. So we are our greatest investment. And we need to take that time to invest and make daily deposits, not every time, sometimes, but daily deposits, because we want that investment to grow at a rapid rate. So that's kind of where I bring those three worlds together, the business, the life, and the health. And so what I've done is now teaching other coaches, whether it's business coaches or business consultants or CEOs, executives around the world, how to do just that. And then I coach them on how to start businesses. When I started my career early on, I worked with the Small Business Development Center. I worked with the office where I taught people how to form their corporation. And my tagline is I help people build their business, their brand, their body, and their bottom line. Because all those things go hand in hand. You know, I look at some of the most successful people in the world today, and I'm going to use a name that most probably know, Tony Robbins. That guy is crazy. He has 72 businesses that he owns. And the first thing that Tony Robbins will tell you is take care of your health. Take care of your health. Because we know that without it, nothing else matters. We look around the world today and some of the wealthiest and healthiest people, they've aligned the two. And so that's my journey is to teach people how to do that, how to get build better businesses, how to improve their life and how to really live at the next level when it comes to their health. Question, if... um an adult Kimberly could go back and talk to yourself as a child, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? Well, I was pretty intense. You know, it's so funny. I had a girlfriend here from Chicago this past weekend and she goes, you are so raw. She says, but I see a softer side of you now. And I love it. And I go, really? And I realized that when I was younger, I think I was a little intense and people would probably say I'm still intense, but I'm coming down, guys. I'm coming down. (laughs) But really, I would say, you know what? Look at life and understand that there's nothing that's stopping you from becoming the best version of yourself. I'm a big fan of loving on people where they are. I knew growing up, I had some issues where, you know, I would look at people and judge people. I've learned, nope. I love people just where they are, and I appreciate people where they are, and I've learned to work with people where they are. And as a result of that, I feel like I can be a true blessing in the world that we live in today. So just telling that young girl to loosen up a little bit, lighten up. It's not so intense. Slow down. (laughs) Slow down and enjoy every single moment that you have. Life is not guaranteed. It's not promised. So we have to learn how to make the most of every single day. Amen to that. Where can my listeners find you? I'm everywhere. I'm on <laughs> social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. I'm on Clubhouse. And, you know, honestly, I have so many profiles from my personal side to the business side to the coaching side. So if you look up Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E, one E, no Y, you can find me with Smith Austin in any place. And I have a podcast. It's called Made to Inspire You. I have a website. I also have a brand new book that just came out called Millions of Possibilities, Taking Your Ideas from Inspiration to Monetization. So there I am at Kimberly Smith Austin. Include your links in my show notes as well so they can find you. Awesome. Thanks for joining me today. 
Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Wee. I really enjoyed our connection. And like you said, we have so much in common from our athletic endeavors to our social endeavors. I really enjoyed our time together. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, please email runitischeaperthantherapy, O-L-B, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's runitischeaperthantherapy, Omaha Love Brown, at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. O-U-I Life, O-U-I Love. Thank you, and please tune in again.